So brothers and sisters, today we finish both a calendar year as well as the long study and proclamation that we have made of the book of Romans. Somehow that seems rather appropriate to me. Uh, Didn't necessarily plan it that way, but uh, here we have um, two conclusions. The conclusion to a, a calendar year and also we reach Paul's doxology at the end of the book of Romans. It seems especially appropriate to do so on the end uh, or at the end of this year. And and that's what we are hearing in uh, Romans 16, beginning with verse 20, 25. Uh, uh, the word doxology means praise. Um, and it has been said that all theology, be it right and good theology must end with doxology. Uh, All that God does, he does well and good and deserving of our praise of him. Uh, With us as sinners, uh, it's not that way, right? Uh, When we set out to do something, we, we may succeed and we may also fail. And even when we succeed, there are always mistakes that are made, uh, that make our success less than perfect, and, and thereby less deserving of all praise. Uh, but a, a perfect God does all things well. Uh, a God of holiness makes no mistakes, so that whenever he acts, in whatever he does, in all that he is, he is fully deserving of all praise Theology ends with doxology. <clears throat> and yet, even as the Apostle Paul writes this doxology, he also gives us instruction. A good teacher never quits teaching. And here is an important understanding, really, of what praise is and what it means to praise God. Whenever we worship, whenever we praise God, we, we might firstly th- think of what we are giving to God. And indeed, to worship God is to give Him praise. But how do you give anything to God that He does not already have? Well, the answer is that you can't. In one respect, we cannot praise God, not if praising God means giving Him something that He does not already have. I remember as a a child uh, vacationing with my family and uh, going into a souvenir shop. Uh, Each of us, my siblings and me, uh, were allowed to pick out a a souvenir to take home to remember the trip. And as I looked through the the merchandise, I I found a, a small wooden box with a lid and, uh, and on top of the box were the words, For the man who has everything. And when you open the lid, there was no compartment, there was no space at all to be filled under the lid. Uh, there was only another flat surface displaying these further words, Here's a box for him to keep it in. For the man who has everything, here's a box for him to keep it in. So what's the message in that? That 
Everything in life is as nothing. And so it is with God that even even if we give Him everything, even if we declare His praises endlessly, night and day, 24-7, as we say, God has not gained a thing because He lacks nothing to start with. And He has no needs that can be met nor should we expect to meet the needs of our Creator and Savior God. And so even as Paul sets about to praise God, he is still teaching. He is praising God, but the blessing rebounds to us. And the blessing we receive by way of Paul's praise, as by way of our praise each and every Lord's Day, is firstly to be reminded and to be assured, firstly, that God is the strength of His people. That's the first point, the strength of God for His people. The first half of verse 25 reads, Now to Him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. And the conclusion will eventually be this in verse 27. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. So again, this is Paul's closing doxology. Paul here sets about to praise God. But even as he praises God, we get to be reminded that God is the strength of his people. When is the last time that you, that you felt your weakness? Perhaps this morning even, as you woke up and knew that you had to get out of bed. Maybe earlier in the week when you met with failure at work. Or could it have been another time when you, you made a promise, one that you, you came to realize was going to cost you an awful lot, one that you realized you shouldn't have promised in the first place because it became clear to you that you could not do it, you could not deliver. Brothers and sisters, we are weak creatures. And, and, and that's really a, a redundant thing to say, to say that we are weak creatures. Creatures are weak by definition, exactly as we are creatures, which is to say we are created. We owe our lives to our Creator. As Paul preached, recorded in Acts 17, only in Him do we live and move and have our being. Psalm 127, which we sang earlier, says much the same thing. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For God gives to his beloved sleep. When we are young, we not only fail to recognize our our weakness, but we even think ourselves invincible. Danger and, and death are the furthest things from our minds, but it doesn't take long, even the, the length of a of, of a few years perhaps, to prove and to make us realize that we are weak. Here we are on the last day of the year, uh, on the threshold of a new year. 
And the questions are many. Will our, will our good health continue? Uh, or will injury or illness find us? Uh, might even tragedy strike in this coming year? And the point is not to be negative and, uh, and even morbid, always expecting the worst. But there is a reason, even a, a good and helpful reason, why God subjected our first parents and us as their offspring to death and, and to pain in childbirth and, and, uh, and to toil and sweat in our labors. There's a reason. The reason is this, that, that thereby we might know our weakness, that sin might not so blind us, so, so obscure our vision that we think ourselves invincible. There is a sense in which every challenge that we face Think of this, every challenge we face, every illness that we fight off in life, every ache, every twinge, really, is meant to awaken us to our weakness. I think here of a, of a driver barreling down a road in the dead of night. He passes one sign and his headlights clearly illumine the sign that reads, dead end, but he keeps going. He passes another sign. It indicates uh, dangerous curves up ahead, but he keeps going even without slowing down. He passes yet another sign, bridge out ahead, but he keeps going, and he keeps going until it's too late to stop. It's too late to stop and repent, which means to turn around and to go the other way. So we might hear this story and think, uh, what a a foolish man. Even from the first sign, dead end, he should have known. He could have known. Indeed, he did know, but he kept going. But that's the essence of of our own nature in sin. That's the essence of sin. Going back to Romans 1, Uh, God's word teaches that the wrath of God is revealed, which is to say it it is openly known. It's not that the wrath of God was revealed in the past, like in the story of Noah and the flood. It's not that the wrath and judgment of God will be revealed in the future, in some future day of judgment. No, the wrath of God is revealed. People know it. You know it. I know it. And it explains an awful lot that we know it. Why do, why do people neglect or even refuse to come to church? Because the wrath of God is revealed. Why do people claim there is no God or, or say, well, my God is not like that. My God wants me to be happy doing whatever I want to do. Well, it's because the wrath of God is revealed. And Romans 1 even teaches that the reason sinners charge headlong into more and more sin is because the wrath of God is revealed. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you think the opposite, that the, that the knowledge of, or, or that knowledge of the coming judgment would turn people back? But it doesn't work that way because of sin. Because every day that a sinner lives in sin and still wakes up the next day 
to live yet another day in sin, that pattern of God's patience only allows him or her to suppress the truth more and more, teaches Paul. See, sin doesn't matter. It didn't matter yesterday. It won't matter today. I'm just fine. There is no God. And if there is, it doesn't matter. If there is a God, we'll see. He, he only wants me to be happy doing whatever I want to do. So how do we, how do we come to know our weakness? How do we awaken to our weakness and our need for God? Here's the, here's the true woke. Here's what it means to be truly woke. That we are simply confronted and, and, and finally accept the fact. Again, we know it's a fact. The fact that we are bound for the grave. That death comes for every man. And then comes judgment. This is the true and full depth of our weakness. Someone might admit to a degree of weakness, I, I suffer from migraines, I, I, I have diabetes, I have another medical condition, I have financial troubles. Again, all such things are sent to us by God to wake us up to our weakness so that in the end He will say, I... I allowed Satan to to harass you for years. I I allowed sin to show up in your life over and over again. And yet you refused my salvation in Jesus Christ. And so God's judgment will be vindicated, even as it is poured out upon you in the end. So dear sinner... Dear fellow sinner, hear the good news that God is able to strengthen you according to the gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. The second point is according to what God has revealed. It's no coincidence that the book of Romans begins with revelation and ends with revelation Again, Romans 1 verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And then there's that transition from sin to salvation. Do you remember in in Romans 3.21, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Again, a, a revelation. The gospel is a revelation. So it's, so it's not that the book of Romans just begins and ends with the idea of revelation. The entire book is about the revelation that God has made and has given to us. Revelation of himself in creation, in all that he has made. The revelation of our sin given by the law of God to teach us our sin. Then the revelation of the gospel, the good news of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ, what we cannot do for ourselves in our weakness. So that in the end, Paul writes, now to him who is able to strengthen you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages past, but has now been 
disclosed. Once again, it will be the sin, our, our sinful condition that will tempt us to say, no, no, that's, that's not the answer to my weakness. I, I don't need God. I don't need Christ. I don't need the gospel. Think here about the, the child who, who falls and skins her knee. What does she do? She, she runs to mom. She seeks out her father to help her. And why? Because, because she knows her weakness and, and she doesn't even have to think about it. She doesn't have to process it cognitively as, as if to think, well, I feel pain in my, in, in my body. Uh, my knee is bleeding. Therefore, I will run to mom. Uh, I will seek out my dad. No, it's, it, it's instinctual. But that instinct is not there in adults. Or if it is there, it it gets lessened by our pride. Think about the, the parallel in the, in the life of all human beings. I, I, I am going to die. Judgment is coming. But instead of seeking help, instead of accepting help, we deny that we are even injured. Yet even more, that we are bound for the grave. But may God grant that each of us would be strengthened according to the gospel. Paul calls it my gospel because he is referring to all that he has now written about and taught in his letter to Rome. Paul concludes his letter by, by praising God for all that he has now taught and explained in his letter. But even as he praises God, Paul teaches further, that here is your strength. Psalm 121 says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? It comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And that's Paul's message here, that God is able. The message of the gospel is that God is able to help us in our weakness. But even more, God has done what must be done. To help us. But how? How does the gospel strengthen us? If you are a Christian, if, or if you uh, become a believer this morning, you will return to a life by which you know your weakness. Death will always be knocking at your door. Uh, both success and failure will be met in your, in your labors. People will still fail you, and you will still fail others. Death is all around us. So how can we be strong? The gospel makes us strong when we believe it and claim it. I say believe it and claim it because it's, it's not enough to say, okay, I guess I'll believe Yes, that sounds good. Thumbs up to the gospel. If the gospel would strengthen you, it must be believed and claimed and claimed every day. Yes, I am a sinner, but Christ is my Savior. Yes, judgment is coming, but God's judgment for my sin has been taken and it has been turned away from me by Christ. Yes, God is just and holy and He justly requires me to be perfect, but he is gracious and merciful 
to provide for me and to credit to me the righteousness of Christ. Yes, my body is failing, and sooner than I think, I will be dead, and, and yet this is my strength. My strength is Christ. My strength is the gospel that my sin is forgiven, that I am righteous before God by faith. Death is coming, but so is Jesus. And he's going to, um, he, he will give his command for the dead to be raised and for those whom he has redeemed to be brought to share fully in what he has accomplished for us. Well, finally then, for the obedience of faith. For the obedience of faith. Paul's doxology leads to this, to bring about the obedience of faith. Once again, we, we have a set of bookends, so to speak. We have a, a return to the beginning. A lesson taught from the beginning comes to bear again in the end. Even from the opening verses of Romans, the obedience of faith has been the teaching of Paul. In Romans 1, verses 4 and 5, he writes, Of Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. And now at the end, it's the same, to bring about the obedience of faith. And of course, here is the deal breaker for all too many people. Oh, I see, this is, this is all to get me to obey. But if that's our response, we've not understood it. If sin is real, if death is certain, if hell is where sinners are bound by the judgment of God, and if Christ is real, if God's plan of salvation is eternal, if heaven is where saved sinners are bound by the grace of God, then shall we not live, shall we not live for the Savior who lived for us and who died on the cross for us and rose again for us and is coming again for us? It strikes me that people are altogether ready and willing to become a fan of what? Um, the pop singer who who moves us with music, or the movie that thrills and chills, or whatever other thing going on in our culture, how quickly we can be moved by all such things. But when it comes to the Savior, or whatever, or when it comes to the one who is born, was born for us, who lived a perfect life for us, who died for us, who suffered on the, on the cross for us, who rose again for us, the Savior who has saved us from death and from the grave, well, then suddenly that's, that's too much to expect. If we don't know our sin, then we will not appreciate the salvation from sin that God has provided. If we don't appreciate, if we don't value, what did Paul say in, in Philippians 3? I count all things as loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. If we don't appreciate our sin, we will not appreciate our salvation. And if we do not appreciate our salvation, then yeah, it's going to be, 
going to be a deal breaker. I still want to live for myself, even though Christ lived and died and rose again for me. The Christian life ends up binding us and keeping us from doing what we want to do, to go where we want to go, but apart from Christ. It really doesn't matter what you want to do. It really doesn't matter where you want to go, because that's just as determined for you as it would be determined by Christ. If Christ doesn't own you, then Satan still does. Those who live apart from Christ... We can think of it this way. They're really on a leash. And it's a long leash. It it, it allows you to go where you want to go and to do what you want to do. It allows you to be what you want to be. But throughout life, that leash will get shortened, always bringing you closer to the grave and to the judgment of God. To put it another way, Not only is there the obedience of faith, there's also the obedience of unbelief. Those who live in rebellion against God are only living in obedience to Satan. So go your way. Do your thing. Enjoy whatever you can get now. Paul says, eat, drink, and be merry. But tomorrow you die. Ignore, deny your weakness, your slavery to sin. But may God grant, may God grant that each of us would turn back from that that dead-end life which we are living apart from Christ. Let us know Christ. Let us claim him as our own. Say yes to the gospel, but claim him as your own. And let us set out into a new year. Let us set out to live the rest of our life by the obedience of faith. And let us do so as God's word would call us to do so to the praise of God. Amen. Let's pray. Oh God, that you would open our eyes, that you would help us to admit our weakness and help us to say yes to the gospel, but even more to claim Christ as our own and to live with such hope, joy, peace, thankfulness, and purpose that we would indeed offer unto our Lord, gracious and loving as he is, offer to him our thankful obedience, that we would live out the obedience of faith. Grant us faith, and by that faith, a life lived for Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.